Section 31 of The Life of Mozart, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Mozart by Otto Jahn. Translated by Pauline D. Townsend and others. Section 31, Chapter 14, Part 1. During the last half of the 18th century, it had become the fashion in Italy and elsewhere to perform detached instrumental pieces as introductions or intermezzi during the pauses in divine service. They were written in the then customary symphony form, music of a lively and secular tone not being thought out of place in churches. Brilliancy of effect was provided for by doubling the orchestra and other mechanical means, besides forcible composition. Further innovations were made in allowing solo vocalists an opportunity of displaying their powers in church music and, as a necessary consequence, distinguished instrumental performers also were allowed to add their share to the attractions of divine worship. Instrumental concertos were played usually at the conclusion of the service without any regard to an ecclesiastical character. We gather from Dittersdorf's account of his competition with Spagnoletti at the festival of St. Paul at Bologna, and its result that fine performances were thought as much of in the churches as in theatres and concerts. At Salzburg, as Mozart tells Padre Martini, page 244, a sonata was introduced between the Epistle and the Gospel, until Archbishop Hieronymus replaced it by a gradual in 1763. Seventeen compositions by Mozart of this kind are preserved. The earliest of certain date belongs to 1775, Kerschel 212, and others to 1776, Kerschel's 241, 244, 245, and 263, and 1777. Kerschel's 274 and 278, but there are several almost certainly of earlier date. His sacred sonatas were performed even during his absence, according to his father, September 25, 1777. After his return, he composed three pieces of the kind, the last in March, 1780, Kerschel's 328, 329, and 336. They are all inscribed as sonatas, and all consist of a lively movement of moderate length in two parts, and in regulation sonata form. The church sonatas, sonade di Chiesa, differ indeed from chamber sonatas, sonade di Camera, in being serious, dignified, often fugued and in counterpoint, but the style has nothing in it that suggests a sacred performance. The tone is neither solemn nor devotional, nor is the style severe. The tone and treatment of the commencement 
remind us of the first movements of the smaller sonatas and quartets. The subjects are small, sometimes very pretty, the treatment is free and skillful, and in the later pieces not without touches of Mozart's originality. They are usually written for two violins and violoncello, to which the organ was always added, but never obbligato, nor with any regard to executive display. It has often only its customary office of accompaniment to the violoncello, in which case a figured bass part is written. Even when the organ part is independent, it is for the most part limited to what the skillful organist can make out of the continuo. Its independence is very modest, and it never aspires to a solo or any passages. Sometimes trumpets and drums are added, Kerschel 263, as well as oboes, Kerschel 278, and horns, Kerschel 329. With the extension of the orchestra, the design and treatment became grander and more impressive, but still kept within comparatively narrow limits. Unhappily, these organ sonatas give us not the faintest idea of Mozart's much-admired organ playing. Not only were these compositions composed for special occasions, but all instrumental music at that time was in this sense occasional music. Orchestral compositions were, with few exceptions, written with a definite aim and under given conditions. Musical performances were the customary evening entertainments given by distinguished or wealthy persons in default of better, such as the theater. Those who maintained their own capella required daily performances, and in the evening, whether they were alone or entertaining company, a well-appointed concert. Sometimes noble, gentler men became so proficient on some instrument that it pleased them to take personal part in such concerts. Not to mention the noted examples of Frederick the Great and the Emperor Joseph, the elector Maximilian III of Bavaria was a performer on the bass viol and took part in the court concerts where his sister, Maria Antonia of Saxony, appeared as a singer. Sometimes also he played the violin in the symphony. The flute was an instrument much in vogue with noble amateurs, and was played by the Margrave Friedrich von Bayreuth, Duke Karl von Kurland, and Prince Joseph Friedrich von Hildburghausen. The elector Karl Theodore played the violoncello, Prince Nicholas Estrahazy the baritone, Archbishop Maximilian the tenor, Archbishop Hieronymus adopted the violin as his instrument, after the example of the Emperor Peter III and the Crown Prince Karl Wilhelm Ferdinand von Braunschweig, and he amused himself with it alone after dinner. In the evening he took part in the concerts given by his choir. L. Mozart writes to his son, who had a great dislike to violin playing in court music, as a connoisseur, you will not be ashamed of the violin playing in the First Symphony any more than the Archbishop and all the Cavaliers who take part in it. The distinguished amateurs did not indeed always improve the orchestra. On one occasion, the Empress Maria Theresa 
having remarked in an undertone to haydn that she wondered what would become of four noble amateurs who were performing with him if left to themselves he played her the joke of quietly absenting himself with his next colleague and enjoyed the complete discomfiture of the gentleman brunetti who always stood at the archbishop's side used at different places quietly to take down his viola and strike in the archbishop let it pass and used even to say when he came to these places now brunetti will come in mozart had not the most favorable opinion of the archbishop's musical knowledge he writes to his father vienna september twenty sixth seventeen eighty one about the famous bass singer fischer who has certainly an excellent bass voice although the archbishop told him he sang too low for a bass upon which i assured his grace that he would sing higher next time public performers took the principal parts in these concerts which fact was taken into consideration in forming the choir care was taken to attract foreign artists and in the larger towns many public performers depended on the daily concerts for their means of subsistence their performances were long and included a great deal of orchestral music count fermian's musical soirees lasted from five to eleven o'clock and at one concert several symphonies by j c bach and four symphonies by martini were played dietersdorf produced twelve new violin concertos by benda on one evening at a concert given by the elector of bavaria bernie heard two symphonies by schwindel a song by pazacci a scena by the electress of saxony a trio for bass viols by the elector a song by rosini a song by guadagni and a bass viol solo by the elector and at a private concert in dresden both parts contained a symphony a violin concerto a flute concerto and an oboe concerto the evening's amusement was generally further provided for by card-playing and conversation archbishop hieronymus limited the durations of his concerts l mozart wrote to his son september seventeenth seventeen seventy eight that they only lasted from seven to a quarter past eight and included only four pieces a symphony a song another symphony or concerto another song and then adio the court composer took the direction of the court music in turn with the kapellmeister every alternate week and the director for the time being had the choice and arrangement of the music except so far as it was directed by superior authority the position of mozart's father gave him constant opportunities to bring his son's instrumental compositions before the public the fame of the band was enhanced by the performance of works by one of the members and at every festival something new was performed dietersdorf relates that for the fete day of the bishop of grosswardein he composed not only a grand cantata with choruses and a solo cantata but also two grand symphonies at the beginning and close a middle symphony with obligato wind instruments and a violin concerto in a similar position under prince estrahazy joseph haydn produced his incredibly numerous instrumental compositions 
Mozart's fertility during the period of his independent activity in Salzburg from 1770 to the autumn of 1777 was equally great, but the merit of industry and fertility was one which these great masters shared with many contemporary lesser ones. The skillful treatment of the orchestra rests mainly on the composer being so imbued with the spirit of the work as a whole as to be able to render the separate parts conducive to the general effect. This can only be accomplished by continuous practical study. Most especially fortunate was Mozart, whose numerous appointed tasks, not being merely abstract exercises, served him as studies for his works. The danger was indeed great that the influence of the schools and the force of traditional forms would tend to mechanical routine, but it afforded another proof of Mozart's creative nature that his unintermittent labor in mastering the technicalities of his art never interfered with the spiritual side of his genius. Many forms were in use for instrumental composition during the last century, of which at the present day we can scarcely even distinguish the names or define the limits. The so-called French symphony, or overture, introduced by Lully and established through the school of Scarlatti, consists of a short, slow movement preceding a longer and more varied one, and repeated at the close. This was opposed to the Italian symphony, which contained three movements, an allegro at the beginning and another at the end, separated by a slow movement in effective contrast to them both. The first and the last allegro were, however, different in character, the second being the quicker and more cheerful of the two. It was easy to sever the slender connection between the symphony and the opera, and operatic symphonies were soon performed alone, as may be proved by the symphonies to the Finta Semplice, the Sogna di Schiapone, and Lucio Sia. The continual demand for new symphonies cooperated with the increasing capacity of the instrumentalists and the fuller appointments of the orchestra in developing their importance and independence. In Italy, San Martini, commissioned by the governor, in Italy, San Martini, commissioned by the governor, Pellavicini, first wrote symphonies for full orchestra. He divided the tenors from the violoncelli, gave the second violins an independent part, and rendered service also to the technicalities of playing. In Germany, the composers of the Mannheim Capella, who were of the first rank, introduced this kind of composition with great success. But Joseph Haydn, who surpassed them all in his inexhaustible wealth of productive power, and in his thorough knowledge of his art, threw them quite into the shade, and may justly be considered as the creator of the symphony. The three movements were originally connected, but when the symphonies became independent of the opera, this was only exceptionally the case. Kirschel's 74, 181, and 184. The last symphony of the year 1773 shows that even in its maturity an artistic mind may cling to long-established customs. The delicately elaborated Andante, 
full of original and tender sentiment, forms the climax of the work. The animated allegro, which precedes it, is, with just discrimination, toned down towards the end to prepare for the andante, whose yearning pathos leaves the mind unsatisfied, and whose subjects are arranged to favor the transition to the lively and restless concluding movement. As a rule, however, each movement was treated as a self-contained whole, which gave freer scope for the development of a definite idea. In the formation of the separate movements, the clavier sonata, in the perfect form given to it by Philip Emanuel Bach, acknowledged as a master by Haydn himself, had a very considerable influence. The first allegro was always in two parts. A short, slow movement, perhaps a reminiscence of the French symphony, was prefixed to it by Haydn often, by Mozart rarely. A compact arrangement of well-defined subjects takes the place of the long-drawn thread of loosely connected phrases of the older symphonies. The first subject gives the tone of the movement, a second follows, contrasting in expression and structure, and generally a third is added. The connection is by means of free passages. It was long held as a fixed rule that the first theme should close on the subdominant, and that the second theme should be in the key of the dominant, in which also the first part of the movement concludes. In the second part, the elaboration of the subjects begins the composer might please himself as to which of the subjects or how many or in what new combinations they were to be carried on nor was there any definite rule as to the method of elaboration except that it always led back to the principal key and the first theme which closed on the dominant and was followed by the second theme also in the principal key the first part might either be simply repeated with these modifications or the change of key might be thoroughly carried out sometimes the second part was also repeated and then followed the final winding up by a coda which recurs to one or more of the chief subjects and which was employed even when the second part was not repeated the elements of this form had already been given in the aria with its one main idea and its contrasting motifs but the organic perfection of the form was first attained by instrumental music philip emmanuel bach declared that the chief and best quality of music was melody and this principle once recognized the laws of song were adopted by instrumental music although with many modifications, to suit the different characters of the instruments and the necessities of thematic elaboration. The chief improvement was the spirited development of one or more subjects to replace the tedious middle movement of the aria. The artistic development of the separate elements, according to their true significance, introduced both contrast and climax. Unity was assured, since nothing foreign either to the form or the substance was admitted, while the repetition of the first part, like a dialectic exposition of an argument, provides a clear and satisfying conclusion. This working out part did not always receive its due share of honor, and was often treated as a form of harmonic transition but it asserts itself more and more as the proper nucleus of the whole movement, 
and has an important reaction on the formation and phrasing of the first part. This becomes, as it were, the foundation prepared for the future development which first displays the whole extent of the conception. The coda was usually confined to a lengthened development of the closing phrase and gathered to a point in pregnant brevity the most essential elements of the movement. It had its counterpart in the cadenza of the aria. After what manner great vocalists constructed their cadenzas, we are unfortunately ignorant, but instrumental cadenzas reproduce the principal subjects of the movement, just as was the case in the coda. Beethoven, who brought the coda to perfection, has himself worked out the cadenzas in the concerto in E-flat major. The cadenza in the first part is identical in mechanism with the coda of one of his great symphonies. The original middle movement has preserved a slower tempo and a moderate tone, with simplicity both of design and composition. The point of departure is the air, lead, romance, or the cavatine of operatic creation. Mozart, for instance, took a melodious duet from his opera of Hyacinthus for the Andante of a Symphony, page 94. There is no question here of artistic symmetry or elaboration of subjects. One main subject dominates the whole, often smothered with embellishments, as the original stem of a tree is hidden by the creepers which grow from its roots. The andante is often, though not necessarily, divided into two parts, one or both of them to be repeated, sometimes with a coda added. In the second part, a new statement of the subject generally takes the place of its actual development, and the contrast of major and minor keys is made use of. Frequent repetition of a simple theme led to the introduction of variations, sometimes strict, sometimes free in form, but in depth and originality always far inferior to thematic elaboration in the proper sense of the term. The andante, therefore, long continued to be of minor importance, both as to length, form, and substance. It required not only the mastery of musical theory, but the complete absorption of the individual in the artist before the innermost sentiments of the human heart, in all their depth and fullness, could be expressed in simple form, as the poet expresses them in lyric verse. The adagio of instrumental music is, in its most perfect form, essentially a German creation, but it became what it is apart from the influence of the newly awakened German poetry. Each in its separate sphere felt the vivifying spirit of the age like the fresh breath of spring, and awoke together to life and beauty. As the substance of the slow movement grew in interest and importance, the form also became fuller and richer, without, however, any essential alteration. The most magnificent of slow movements have all the main points that we have noticed above, and are only in details, freer and more full of life and significance. The closing movement, generally in 3-8, 6-8, or 2-4 time, has something of a dance tone, though not of set purpose. The rondo form, very freely treated, soon became paramount. 
the impressiveness of frequent repetition of the same melody, the freedom and ease with which the connecting phrases could be treated, the surprises to which ingenious returns to the theme gave rise, all made this easy form very appropriate to a closing movement. What was demanded from instrumental music was such a pleasant sense of enjoyment as would relax the mind without straining the attention, and a cheerful conclusion was considered essential. But by a singular inconsistency, the last movement was sometimes made the feel for the display of skill and counterpoint. Masters of the art required that a genuine artist should know how to render cheerfulness and whimsicality, spirit and fun, even in the strictest forms. So it is customary to this day to introduce contrapuntal work into the scherzo, the proper field for musical wit and humor. This, too, is a production of German instrumental music. To the three original movements of the symphony, the minuet was added as a fourth, suggested probably by the suite. The suite, whether for orchestra or clavier, came to perfection in the 17th century and consisted of a succession of dances in the same key, but differing in time, rhythm, and expression, and for the most part highly characteristic. Matheson enumerates them as follows. Minuet, Gavat, Bourret, Regadon, Gig, Polonaise, Anglaise, Country Dances, Ballads, Hornpipes, Passepied, Sarabande, Courant, Allemande. Others give Allemande, Courant, Gig, Passacaille, Gavotte, Minuet, Chacon, the chief forms being Allemande, Courant, Sarabande, and Gig. An introduction, prelude, fantasia, or overture preceded the dances, consisting, after the French fashion, of a slow and a lively movement, the latter generally elaborated and returning to the former as a conclusion. It is evident that the suite was the foundation of the Italian operatic symphonies, not of our modern symphony and sonata forms, but much was doubtless borrowed from the long list of dances as embellishment to the symphony proper. Whether or not Joseph Haydn was the first to introduce the minuet into the symphony, it was he undoubtedly who gave it its peculiar and typical character. The minuet was the dance of good society, offering opportunity for the display of dignity, grace, and deportment. We cannot hear these minuets which best reflect the character of the dance without thinking of powder and hoops. And now that the manners it suggests have become obsolete, it can only be humorously reproduced. Haydn did not parody the minuet of his time, but he divested it of its distinguishing dignity. He took it as it was danced by the middle classes and filled it with national cheerfulness and good humor. He represented a certain amount of joviality and a rollicking fun which would have been inadmissible in the salons of the noblesse, and he was inexhaustible in witty suggestions and surprises without any taint of vulgarity or carelessness of musical treatment. This was being popular in the best sense of the word. The spirit was genuinely national, the form truly artistic, and so the minuet took its place in the symphony and kept it. The position given to it in relation to the longer movements varied in early days, 
Mozart generally places it after the Andante. Mozart's first symphonies have only three movements, and it is perhaps not merely accidentally that the minuet is first introduced in the symphonies composed at Vienna in 1767 and 1768, but it is sometimes wanting in later works. It is interesting to trace in his youthful works Mozart's gradual progress in mechanism and practical skill. At first there is little melodious invention, but a sense of effect and a knowledge of form always exist, and by degrees the symphonies acquire body and character. Command of the orchestra makes itself felt by degrees. First the separate parts become free and independent. A special movement is given to the second violins by characteristic passages and imitative treatment, and the basses too gain life and independence. They are in free imitation for the first time in a symphony in G major, no Kerschel, belonging to the year 1771. As development proceeded, the subjects became fuller, and the whole work gained in consistency and substance, although it still wanted finish and elaboration. The peculiar character of the string quartet became more and more prominent, for a long time it formed the nucleus of the symphony, the wind instruments strengthening the harmonies and emphasizing some particular melody, but only very gradually contributing to effects of light and shade. Oboes and horns, trumpets too, generally without drums, are combined according to rule and gave the orchestra a sharp, clear tone, which was then admired. Flutes were employed in movements of a gentle character, usually with muted stringed instruments. It was not until later that the bassoons were made independent of the basses, and then they served, like the tenors, for middle parts. Many and diverse experiments were made in the employment of new instrumental forces before the various parts of the orchestra were successfully combined into a self-contained and living whole. End of section 31, chapter 14, part 1. Recording by John Crean, Lilburn, Georgia.